Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We're back in the book of First Kings. We're looking at chapters 19 and 20 today. And as we begin for chapter 19, I guess I'll ask a, a kind of a question for you to think about as we look at, at these verses. Um, have you ever felt you're just burnt out, overworked? really, really tired. We see here this happening to Elijah, and he takes his eyes off the Lord. We see another version of a man back in chapter 18. He's the guy who took on all the 450 prophets of Baal and had this great big contest and, you know, they call to their God, and Elijah, the only one, you know, they're calling to his God, and he called down fire from heaven, burnt up the, the offering, the water, all the wood, the stones, and everything around it, and then slew all the 450 prophets of Baal. Now we have a different version of this man. He thought he had a big victory. Except Queen Jezebel now set his her sights to kill him. And when he took his eyes off the Lord, he started worrying about his own life. And he just seemed like he lost his zeal. He lost his pep. He lost his get up and go. We don't see the same guy. And we see God restoring him gently, not in power, but in quietness. McGee said, great doors swing on little hinges. And it's the quiet things that sometimes we need to correct. So the days are busy for us. And our bodies are frail. And we can get to the point where we feel overworked, burnout, tired, stressed, depressed, anxious about 
stuff. It's like the Elijah complex here is the modern day man, modern day woman, Elijah complex. Worried about school, worried about jobs, worried about finances, worried about health. So many things to worry about. Great doors swing on little hinges. Little things like keeping your eyes on the Lord instead of keeping your eyes on all the things going around. It can make us tired and burn out. We have to we have to rest our bodies. We have to eat. But we have to keep our eyes on the Lord because it keeps our joy in the midst of stuff. We can't lose our joy. This modern day Elijah complex, like we're saying, looked around at people every day. You can see the modern day Elijah complex. People take their eyes off the Lord. They're overworked. They're tired. They're burnt out. The modern-day Elijah complex manifests itself in anxiety and stress and depression or disengagement from things or being aloof. Loss of joy. Loss of hope and peace. The Holy Spirit gives us hope, joy, and peace. We see that in Romans 15. The modern-day Elijah complex is you've lost your hope and your joy and your peace. So let's look at 1 Kings 19 at the modern-day Elijah complex. This is after all his victory. Now we have defeat in the little things. He defeated 450 prophets of Baal in chapter 18. And he's scared because of one woman in chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, that's a threat. And if anybody is an evil person, McGee made the point over and over and over that Jezebel was super evil. She killed so many prophets already of the nation Israel. Now she makes him known, Elijah known, that she's going to kill him. So he was afraid. Okay? Fear. Fear versus faith. We've said that before, that if we have, are afraid of something, that always takes a, the place of our faith. So he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which is really southern Israel, all right, as far away as he can get from Jezreel. It's all the way at the southern part. So he goes to Beersheba, 
which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Okay, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. He's done. He's spent. He's depressed. He's ready to die. There's nothing to live for. The day is no joy. He's he's gone emotionally. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and uh, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. What you've got to do is too much. And he arose, ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. That's Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. So he leaves there and he goes 40 days and 40 nights from this food to Mount Sinai. Verse 9, Then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, he didn't, he didn't, God didn't tell him to go. This is a non-ordained trip. And he said, This is he, Elijah, talking. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. They seek out my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So it's like he's saying, you know, why are you in this place, Elijah? And, you know, metaphorically, God could say to us, why are you in this emotional place? Why are you down in the dumps? Why are you in an emotional cave in your anxiety or in your stress or in your depression or in your disengagement? You've lost your joy. You lost your hope. You lost your peace. Why are you in this? And he commanded, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. But he didn't do it. He was supposed to go out and stand 
for the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but he didn't do it. He stayed in the cave. And then he hears a whisper. So that's what makes Elijah leave the cave. And then he says to him again, what are you doing here? And he said the same thing. He's, he said, I've been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. In other words, it's like he's judging all these other people. It's almost a little bit Jonah-like, right? He's staying in the cave. He's hiding under the tree. God's asking him these rhetorical questions. Why are you here? What are you doing here? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, you've taken your eyes off of me. Come outside and see me. You know, I'm showing you the, the wind, the earthquake, the fire. But you won't even come out of your cave to look. So he says basically the same thing. All these people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and even I, even I only am left. In other words, woe is me. Woe is me. He, of course, wasn't the only one. My study Bible says that. There's plenty of other prophets. And we're going to see how he... Elisha takes over from Elijah. So, anyway, he's got this woe is me complex. that He's the only one left. They seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Okay, now that's north. Okay. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, or Hazel, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shapheth of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall be Jehu, shall, shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay. So, God says, you know, I need you to get up and go and anoint these other people for successors. And all these other people, these 7,000 other people who've not bowed to Baal. In other words, he's sort of indirectly telling Elijah that you're not the only one who's faithful to me right now. And I need you to anoint your own successor. Verse 19, you know, starts, so he departed from there. And he finds Elisha. Who was plowing. 
with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the 12th. Uh, Elisha, excuse me, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxygen, the oxygen, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, oxen, oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So, Elijah just puts his cloak on him. We don't see him anoint anybody as he was commanded. And as my study Bible says, it almost is like he's sort of still half-hearted. He's not joyful. He's not, you know, he's doing what God's telling him to do. But <clears throat> we don't see him doing much. The joyful person seems to be Elisha, who's jumping up. He's leaving his his parents, his family, and he's going to assist him. So that is a really big change for Elijah. And uh, <clears throat> I hope we come to some resolution in Elijah's story. We see a tremendous, uh, we see God working through him. And then we see him kind of shutting down. It's a really strong story of losing your zeal for God. Losing your zeal for the little things. Losing your zeal for the big things. Losing your zeal for the big powerful things that that you see. Losing your zeal for the little things. We can't lose our hope, our joy, and our peace. The work is hard. We have to rest. But sometimes the journey can be great. The journey that we're on. How important it is for us not to lose our zeal. So, chapter 20. I'm only going to hit a few of the verses. Because McGee hit only a few of the verses. Um, But, long story short. Um, we, we leave the story of Elijah temporarily. It's like a meanwhile, something else was going on. So we don't get any more about him right now. God's focus turns to Ahab. Again, this evil King Ahab, he's at war with this Ben-Hadad of Syria. It seems like, uh, my study Bible says, Ahab's reign was just marked by repeated conflicts with Ben-Hadad of Syria. And um, Ahab defeats him eventually. But um, apparently, God had commanded him um, to finally put him to death and kill him. And because he doesn't, it's almost like the way I'm understanding it is like King Saul failed to put to death, you know, this king that he defeated. And then 
so much calamity came on his his kingdom because he didn't follow God's command. Same setup here, um, King Ahab. God finally allows King Ahab to get a military victory, and it's almost like God trying to tell him, you need to trust in me. You've already seen what Elijah did, but yet you still don't trust in me. I'm going to give you a great victory, an opportunity to trust in me, but he doesn't. He doesn't obey God, and then he eventually is tricked um, by one of his own prophets, and uh, he has he declares sort of the punishment on his own self, much like David declared punishment on his own self when Nathan kind of tricked him a little bit. So... Let's jump in. We'll hit a few high points here. Verse 13 uh, in chapter 20 of 1 Kings. Verse 13. And behold, the prophet came near to King Ahab of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus says the Lord, By the servants of the governors of the districts. And he said, who shall begin the battle? And he answered, you. So in other words, who's going to fight this battle? You know, these guys who are not even trained very well. King Ahab's saying, man, I'm going to be set up. But then the prophet, verse 22, came to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do. For in the spring, the king of Syria will come up against you. So, um, <clears throat> in the first battle, they won. And then now, in verse 22, he's telling them that the king of Syria is going to come back and try to attack you again. So, but Ahab defeats Ben-Hadad again. Um, and we see in verse 27, the people of Israel were mustering and there were provisioned and went against them and the people of Israel and camped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. But in any event, God provided a victory um, and Ben-Hadad sort of gets captured. He begs for his life and Ahab lets him go. And at this point, um, it looks like a prophet who's kind of disguising himself like he's wounded in battle um, talks to the king, and eventually um, there is something, you know, he was saying, I was guarding somebody, and, you know, um, you know something happened where, uh, you know, well, in any event, I, the high point of the story is is that King Ahab um, is proclaiming judgment on this person who didn't do what they were supposed to do in the battle. But really, this prophet was saying, well, you're the one who didn't do what you're supposed to do in the battle. So when the king is proclaiming judgment on this person, he was really 
proclaiming judgment on himself. So that's where we come to at the end of chapter 20. Um, doing what you're supposed to do. So we're going to stop here. A really good lesson, I think, at least for me, in chapter 19. And I'm just going to call this the modern-day Elijah complex when you lose your hope and your joy and your peace. So we'll stop here. We'll, um, we'll, uh, as, we'll take a break for the weekend, as we always do, and then be back here Monday as we continue our study through First Kings. So again, from me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your hearts centered on Christ on this great spiritual battlefield. We'll see you here next time. And as always, our prayers go up for sweet Emma and sweet Jean, and also for Matali as uh, she uh, is uh, uh, traveling and, um, and uh, recovering from uh, 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 a time of, um, of rest herself. So again, we'll see you here next time. And uh, God bless you all.